Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to be looking at issues in higher education today with Utah State University President Stan Albrecht. Later in the program, a conversation with Southern Utah University President Scott Wyatt. How did Utah's colleges and universities fare at the legislature? Will tuition be going up? How do we make higher education more affordable to more families? What about students coming out of college with big debt? What should be the most important elements of college education? Always an ongoing debate on that. Should it be STEM, career preparation, liberal arts, enrichment? And does the future of higher education rather lie more online or in traditional bricks and mortar? Uh, phone lines are open to you, Facebook, email, and Twitter for your comments and questions on higher education in Utah. The number is 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page or to upraxcess at gmail.com. Pleasure to welcome uh, back to these microphones uh, Utah State University President Stan Albrecht. Welcome back. Tom, nice to be with you. Let's start with the legislature. Uh, of course, you and, 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 and your team very interested always during the legislative uh, session, as all university presidents are. How did, uh, first of all, in general, system higher education fare? Well, it's been interesting over the, uh, the course of the years that I've done this. That each, each session sort of takes on its own character and assume its own unique individual pace. And that certainly was true in this session where we, we uh, started with kind of a first week of uh, focusing on base budget rather than getting to some of the issues that, that we need to look at going forward. But once they had passed base budget, then we quickly got into to conversations about where we're going in higher education as well as for other uh, entities and institutions in the state. And uh, we've had several years of budget cutting, as you know, and so it was nice to sit in conversations where we could really talk about our institutions and what our needs are and where we're going, what our plans and hopes and dreams for these great colleges and universities are. And uh, uh, even though even though the revenue picture ended up not being as positive as I think the legislature and the rest of us hoped that it might be, higher education did well. What about Utah State University in, in particular? Well, in in terms of the in terms of the system, there were several things that we really needed to to have done in this session. Obviously, uh, having had several years without compensation for our faculty and staff, that was important to us. Uh, while the numbers were were not as large as we hoped they might have been, at least there were some funds that were made available for us to to both address salary issues. Uh, but equally as importantly to address health cost increases and other kinds of things like that. Uh, there was a lot of emphasis in this session on what was referred to as, as equity. There were some of our institutions that grew very rapidly during the period when funds were not available to cover student growth. And so there was a, a major emphasis on, on getting funds that would allow us to, to really deal with some of those FTE problems, and uh, monies were made available for that. Uh, there was also continuing recognition of, of individual institutional missions, and so we saw some positive things happen there. But for Utah State University, some very specific initiatives. We needed the second phase of funding for our vet science program. We're able to get that. Uh, we needed continued support for the growth of, of graduate education, particularly doctoral education at Utah State University. Last year, we were able to get some one-time money. This year, we got additional one-time money, but also for the first time, ongoing money. And so that was very positive for us. So overall, you know, the, the, the growth in, in funding to higher education this year was over 11%, and that's probably one of the highest uh, – rates of growth anywhere in the country. And so at the end of the day, we have to feel really good about that. Mm. Uh, I didn't hear any talk uh, this session about uh, degrees to nowhere. There, there, there seemed to be not as much uh, talk or debate about what a college education should be. I, I think I did hear a lot of talk about STEM and emphasis on STEM. The, the degrees to nowhere conversation is... Uh, sort of gone nowhere, if you will. I, I, I think, again, as a result of... Uh, of uh, strong involvement by the presidents of our colleges and universities, uh, involvement by our supporters, our boards of trustees, regents, and others. Uh, I think a really good job has been done in helping legislators understand the importance of, of a broad education. Certainly there will continue to be emphasis given to STEM. And as you, as you saw, the legislature put some additional monies into STEM. It's important to note that those monies went not to the colleges and universities, but to the, the new STEM center that is, is located in the governor's office of economic development. So certainly we will continue to see a lot of attention given to STEM. We will see a lot of attention given to 
preparation for major workforce needs in our state and in other states. But I think also there was was uh, increased recognition of the value of a broader liberal arts education and a recognition of what our other disciplines across a campus really bring to a an educated person. And so we've appreciated the progress that's been made on that front. And certainly there are ongoing discussions all over higher education uh, about what a core curriculum should be, right? If I could use a K through 12 term, um, I know you know Professor Norm Jones has been working on this and, and others. General education, you might call it. Yeah, and and again, uh, let me come back to the point I made just a moment ago in terms of a a, a broad liberal arts education. As we uh, as we focus on workforce needs, uh, at the same time we're dealing with with. Uh, major business folks out there who are saying, yes, I want individuals trained to deal with the specific specific kinds of things that my industry or my business requires. But I also recognize the value that comes from hiring employees who are broadly educated, who can communicate, who can write, who can work in groups. And so the kinds of things that we stress across a curriculum at places like Utah State University continue to have great value and great importance. I'm interested in uh, in the demographics. Are we do we seeing? Uh, I, I think we're seeing increasing numbers of of students, even with the LDS missionary age uh, lowered and and more missionaries going out. In terms of the broader issue of demographic change, we're one of a relatively small number of states that will, over the next few years, continue to see growth in the numbers of students coming out of, of public education, high school graduates, if you will. And so, what what one of one of the interesting uh, outcomes of that is that uh, institutions from out of state are increasingly recruiting in Utah. And so we see a lot of Midwestern institutions establishing a location in Utah to try and recruit students, recognize that, recognizing that demographic pattern. What we, what we face, of course, is a circumstance where we will see uh, continued growth in the number of high school graduates. But uh, uh, the impact of the change in LDS missionary policy that resulted in, in uh, downturn in enrollment across our system, they're going to be coming back. And so we see a combination of things happening that certainly will affect our pattern of growth at Utah State. Uh, and I, I think they'll be coming back pretty soon. This, yes, this, yeah, this as, as, as soon as this falls, some yeah. of them will be coming back. We, we of course, uh, did have some impact from that. We anticipated uh, that the impact would be quite significant. We were able to to uh, work with the legislature to get passage of a bill that allowed us to do more out-of-state recruiting. That was absolutely essential for us to be able to offset some of the revenue impact that was resulting from the, the downturn in enrollment numbers. But uh, we, we face a much more robust future in that sense. Our number of applicants for fall, I think, is at record high. And so uh, we will be able, and again, as, as, as we, we started last year, the, the uh, uh, more aggressive out-of-state recruiting at the end of a legislative session. We have now had more time to do that. And so we will see that also yielding larger numbers. One of the exciting things about that, of course, is that we, we told the legislature that we would recruit at the high end. And so we have done that. And so as you look at the mix of students coming from out-of-state as a result of that, uh, an average index score that is 10 or 12 points higher than our average incoming freshman class. And so it's, it's positive in a number of different ways for us. Mm. So, uh, with a large group like returning LDS missionaries in this case, uh, how do you how do you plan for that? How do you accommodate that? That has uh, many different applications and aspects, as you would guess. We we spent time as recently as yesterday looking at where we think our numbers are going to be, and one of our great concerns, of course, is uh, uh, both classroom capacity, faculty capacity, we really need to, to grow and expand faculty resources. Uh, and we're working on ways, including using funds that came from this legislative session to do that. But we're also looking at, at uh, physical plant needs. For example, our, our greatest bottleneck on the Utah State University Logan campus is uh, undergraduate science laboratory teaching space. Uh, we, we, we simply don't have the undergraduate teaching labs that we need, particularly as we see some growth in our student numbers. And so, you know, that says, well, we need to build a new science building on campus, and clearly we need to build a new science building on campus. 
I wonder if we could, uh, by the way, if we've just joined us, we're talking with Utah State University President Stan Albrecht. Uh, we have another 15 minutes or so left with him. We're going to continue this discussion in the second half of the program with Southern Utah University President Scott Wyatt. You're welcome to join this conversation. Love to hear about your uh, situation, your family situation. You have a student in college, especially in the Utah system of higher education. What uh, has that been like? If you're a student, love to hear your experience. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or you can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. President, I'm interested in this, uh, this, this ongoing question and debate about uh, online versus bricks and mortar. And uh, you, do, you do see that debate, especially with the advent of MOOCs and, and other things that, that seem exciting. Probably the future is going to include both. What, I wonder what your, your view is. Well, absolutely, the future will include both. I, I, I'm really pleased that uh, as an institution, I think that we have stayed well ahead of that curve. And so the, the construction of a new building on campus is basically acts as a nerve center for our distant education regional campus system, absolutely essential. And so we will see an increasing uh, number of students that are uh, really taking courses in a number of different ways. Our online numbers continue to grow. Uh, The number of students that are taking courses through interactive video conferencing will continue to grow. But we now have in place a a delivery mechanism that allows us to – to uh, have classes originate at any of our regional campuses, be distributed to our other regional campuses, to students who are sitting at their own computer at home or wherever that might be. And so we will continue to see growth in the numbers of students that are taking classes online, IVC, some hybrid uh, mechanism. Uh, but at the same time, we'll really continue to see the core of our instruction occurring in, in face-to-face classroom settings. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've tried to be really experimental and cutting edge in terms of what we're doing, and I think we've succeeded in doing that. The, the most significant growth, when we go back to your question about demographics, the most significant growth, of course, has been through these new delivery methods, if you will, and through our regional campus system. And so when I talk about growth of Utah State University, uh, a significant part of that growth has occurred in places other than our campus here in Logan. Mm. Uh, so you're talking about uh, Tooele and, and Vernal and uh, right and Moab right. and right yeah right uh, all around the state and one of the great one of the great wins just reflecting for a moment on the legislative session one of our great wins in this legislative session was to obtain funding for buildings in Price and in Brigham City we advanced that as as two buildings as one a single initiative to to address uh, some of our infrastructure and instructional needs across the state and so. Uh, we will do groundbreaking in the next few weeks, both in Price and in Brigham City. Uh, we're also starting a new classroom building in Tooele. We'll do groundbreaking, I think, in May for that classroom building. And so we will have three teaching instructional buildings underway beginning this summer available for students to use a year from this fall at those three regional campuses. And then when we combine that with what has already happened in the Uinta Basin with a couple of new buildings out there, uh, a new building in Blanding, we feel that we're really in a position where the, the, the primary infrastructure needs of our regional campuses uh, will be addressed in a way that should carry us through the next decade. And so we're excited to have that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting experience. I, I recently went back to, to school um, uh, and I had a few online classes. Had one at least one class where the teacher was in Price. Mm-hmm. It was always remarkable to me that uh, I was, you know, it, we're having class. He was in Price. Most of us were up, were up here in Logan, and, uh, so you can expand the faculty in that way. Exactly, and it's not just from the the mothership to the satellite campuses, as yeah. you you indicated. It's, it's two way, and yeah. so we're able to use uh, outstanding faculty resources anywhere in the state to benefit our students anywhere in the state, and yeah. so that's that's a that's a nice mix for us. The other thing I observed um, is it really just depends on the teacher. I, I Going in, I, I had this view of an online class as being potentially pretty boring. I've had those classes. But I've also had some classes where it was made very exciting by the, by the instructor. You know, a lot of different things you can do with the technology. 
a lot of things you can do. The instructor will do it. Yes, and a faculty that is increasingly engaged in in, uh, really being innovative in terms of enhancing the learning experience for students. And then, of course, with some of the the IVC technology, uh, you will be sitting in a classroom with colleagues at various places around the state where you're actually able to to interact with, with, with each other as you go forward with one another as you go forward. And so... The, the technology will continue to change, it will continue to be enhanced, and uh, we will continue to be cutting edge in terms of what we're doing at Utah State. And that interaction, uh, I think that's at the heart of the debate, at least as I see that debate going forward vers- uh, online versus bricks and mortar. And maybe that's a false dichotomy. You know, we, we said both probably will go forward. But um, online, there's at least a danger that you're just a lone student, you know, sitting somewhere and you don't have that interaction that you would have in a a regular class. You, you don't have that, and, and you and I both know from our, our own experiences as students and as teachers that uh, uh, a good deal of the learning that occurs occurs through peer-to-peer interaction. I, I think particularly in my graduate program where uh, certainly faculty were important, but a great deal of the learning was, was peer-to-peer. And so there, there are advantages and disadvantages of each of the, the delivery techniques. But the reality is, I, as, we, as we talk about a Utah State University student of the future, you might have a student who is taking two courses face-to-face, an online course to, to meet a need that is driven by schedule or work schedule or availability of course, uh, maybe some hybrid course. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see more and more of our students engaged in a variety of, of, of learning experiences as we go forward. We're talking with uh, Utah State University President Stan Albrecht. Another seven or eight minutes left in this conversation. We're talking, of course, about higher education issues. President, I want to talk about uh, cost. Um, tuition will be going up. Tuition is always a, a, a challenging issue for us, and uh, I probably spend as many uh, sleepless hours worrying about uh, increases in tuition as, as any of the other issues that we, we do face. Uh, again, just for our, our listening audience, a bit of a primer. A few years ago, the legislature passed a new law that allowed institutions to do what we call Tier 2 tuition. Tier 1 tuition is still set by State Board of Regents, and it is equal across all of the institutions in the state. Uh, state law requires that if there's any compensation increase on campuses, that a portion of that, 25% of that, is covered by Tier 1 tuition. And so they will set that again after a legislative session to address uh, mandated needs. And so a couple of weeks ago in, in St. George, State Board of Regents passed a 4% Tier 1 tuition increase across all institutions. In addition, we requested and received support for another 1.5% of Tier 2. Uh, this is actually, last year we did no Tier 2, but this 1.5% is the lowest that we have done, I think, in a decade, except for last year. The 1.5% will be used strictly for student-related needs. For example, as tuition goes up, scholarship costs go up, and so we need to find a way to supplement a scholarship budget. Uh, there are other very specific student initiatives that will be addressed with those funds. Each time tuition goes up, I know it creates an additional burden on our students, on their families. Uh, and yet I, I, I know this doesn't provide a, a greater deal of solace, but we still remain a, a great bargain. Our, our tuition costs are our uh, second lowest of 29 institutions in the western part of the United States. Only tuition at the University of Wyoming is lower, and that's because of a very significant subsidy to higher education from oil and gas revenues. And so we continue to work at this. What we must do in conjunction with with tuition increases is to increase the availability of need-based aid. Utah is one of the lowest states in the union in terms of availability of need-based aid. And so we need to continue driving our scholarship endowment budget. We need to continue to do the things that will make sure that we don't lose students for financial reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, think uh, I'm not sure what percentage of students, but at least a, a larger number of students than when I went. I've been to that many years ago <laughs> originally, you know, um, come out with, with a significant amount of debt. Um, and uh, if for some people, that can be an ongoing burden through many years after their their college career. I'm sure, as as president of an institution, you you uh, 
worry about that, I imagine, with the you know, students coming out with a, a degree, which would be valuable and help them get higher earnings, but also with some debt. The, the debt crisis is, is in many ways a national crisis as opposed to a local crisis. Uh, if we look at Utah State University students and compare them with their peers across the country, the, the level of borrowing, the level of debt uh, on the part of our students is much, much lower. And so, again, while you always worry about debt, uh, it's not the problem here that it is in, in, in many places, many institutions across the country. And yet, uh, part of the reason that our students graduate without debt or without significant debt is that uh, they hold jobs. Many of them have Mm -hmm. part-time, some of them even full-time jobs. Some of them have a couple of jobs. And so, uh, you know, again, that that becomes a part of the the issue of concern. If our students are having to work an increasing number of hours to pay their tuition, then that's taking hours away from their completion uh, at graduation. And so all of those things are... of concern to us. So as, as you said, then, then your focus, is what you would advocate for, is more scholarships, more needs-based? Love, love to see a significant increase in our scholarship budget. We do have uh, a number of need-based scholarships, retention scholarships, where a student who might need $500 or $1,000 to finish off tuition to graduate next semester, we want to make sure those funds are available. Hmm. I know Utah is is very much on board with this, this idea, which gets some pushback, a little bit of pushback these days, which is uh, college education is, is the ideal. It's your ticket to the middle class. It's your ticket to, you know, to higher earnings. Um, I say Utah's all in because we have this goal of uh, 66 by 2020, right? I'm not sure where we are on, on the way to that goal, but... Uh, at least as a state, we're, we're focused on getting more and more people into higher education. And I think that's in recognition of the fact that uh, increasingly, uh, in order to hold the kind of job you, you would like to hold to make the kind of living that will allow you to support family, lifestyle, other things, you, you simply are going to need that college degree. And so we need to continue to press on that front. Uh, we need to be, be wise because increasingly we're having first-generation students come to our campuses. We're having students from underrepresented groups come to our campus and in the kind of preparation they need so that they can come and have a good experience. They can stay. They can complete. Uh, really essential as we look at that 66% goal. What, uh, what is the progress we're making with uh, underrepresented populations? We're giving a great deal of attention to that. Uh, James Morales, who's our Vice President for Student Services, is uh, working very, very hard on that front. And uh, one of the things that he's doing is, is going out to under, underrepresented groups and helping them understand that Utah State University is or can be their institution. And, uh, you know, we've, we've developed uh, increasing opportunities for scholarshiping. We've done some other things, our recruiting into the public schools. Again, recognizing that the demographics uh, across our state are changing quite significantly. And so uh, helping individuals who maybe come from backgrounds where there has not been a family tradition of, of attending college, helping them understand the essential nature of attending college for their future and their family's future. And so we're giving that a lot of attention, and we're seeing some significant payoff from that. We just have about a minute left. Uh, I, I think uh, those in uh, Cache Valley and, and Aggies would be interested in uh, some of the progress on, on the building front. There's several buildings a lot, a lot going on. We will actually have six buildings under construction by the time we reach early summer. Uh, again, as I've indicated, three of those buildings that are regional campuses, but uh, they also include projects here on the main campus. We see the business building, the Huntsman Hall coming up out of the ground, uh, steel pillars sticking up now and, and concrete being poured. Uh, we did a groundbreaking just a, uh, a couple of weeks ago for a new student recreational wellness center that will go on the hyper field. We're excited about that for our students. Uh, we are, are, have just finished or in process of finishing a couple of projects that are important to our athletic future, um, a building that we will actually do an open house for today that uh, strength, and con- strength and conditioning for our student athletes in its focus. And then next month, uh, a ribbon cutting for our new ESTA Center for our basketball and volleyball venues. And so uh, a practice for basketball, uh, volleyball venue. But uh, we're excited about those projects. 
I know you have to get going. Uh, we've been talking with uh, President Stan Albrecht, president of Utah State University. Issues in higher education are a focus for the hour today. And following a break, we'll uh, continue this discussion with Southern Utah University President Scott Wyatt. President Albrecht, pleasure always. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for the invitation. Always look forward to it. More following the break. On NPR News, it's all about the story. People can surprise you anytime. The people behind movies, books, and music. Music is like a Rorschach test, you know, and people hear what they want to hear. I'm Arun Roth, the new host of All Things Considered from NPR News, now coming to you every weekend from NPR West in Southern California. Weekend afternoons at 4 on Utah Public Radio. If you haven't become a member of Utah Public Radio, it's never too late. Make a pledge that works for you at upr.org. Utah Public Radio is your source for learning about your neighbors in southwestern Utah through Utah StoryCorps. It's driveway moments triggered by the essays of Gina Wickwar and Jennifer Pemberton. On UPR, you hear unique weather forecasts presented by the Utah Climate Center staff. Utah Public Radio is your source for connecting with the people and place where you listen and beyond. And your membership truly matters. Become a UPR member at upr.org. Thank you. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3, offering a ham and cheese demi-baguette sandwich. Menu details at crumbrothers.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're looking at issues in higher education uh, on the program today. Uh, How did Utah's colleges and universities fare at the legislature? Will tuition go up? How do we make higher education more affordable to more families? What about students coming out of college with debt? And uh, what should be the most important elements of a college education? Is it STEM, liberal arts, career preparation? Does the future of higher ed uh, lie more online or traditional bricks and mortar? These and other issues we'll discuss in this part of the program with Southern Utah University President Scott Wyatt. Uh, And President Wyatt, welcome to the program. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, nice to welcome you back to uh, Access Utah. I had you on a couple of times when you were up in uh, Cache Valley. Yeah, it's been a few years, so thanks. So uh, uh, just to review for, for those who don't know, uh, you're a, a lawyer. I think you were Cache County attorney, was it? Right, yeah. I was the Cache County attorney for a few years um, when I was living and working in Logan. And then uh, selected to be president of Snow College. Last uh, six and a half years, I was in Ephraim and, uh, then, doing that. And then recently, Southern Utah University. So right. uh, congratulations on, on the new job. Uh, so we, we can, of course, talk, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the smaller institutions as well, and you've had recent experience with, uh, with Snow, for, for example. First question, uh, the same one I posed to President Albrecht, uh, uh, how did uh, SUU fare at the legislature? Well, we fared fair. <laughs> the legislature spent most of the money um, for higher education this year on improving the equity funding amongst institutions. So those that had grown rapidly over the last 10 years or 15 had significant mission changes, uh, ended up getting the lion's share of the funding. And we're supportive of that and, and happy for them. Um, but that's the direct answer to the question: is, is that most of the money went to some of those institutions? Yeah. Do you are do you have a growing student body at SUU? SUU's um, growth has been kind of similar to USU's growth in Logan. Um, over the last five years, SUU has been relatively flat in its enrollment growth. And are you? Uh, you've grown, pro- but not yeah. very much. Uh, you'll likely, as many institutions in Utah, have to be planning for the return of this uh, bulge in LDS missionaries? Correct. That's right. Yes, SUU lost a lot of students. And and how how are you planning for the return of of many students? Well, we are um, focusing our resources to make sure that we're available, that we're hiring the faculty that can take care of some of the bottleneck courses and um, I think we're ready, though. 
I think we're ready. I think we're we're able to manage a pretty significant growth, and looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, uh, I think there's a, a big new project on the SU campus with regard to the Shakespeare Festival. Yeah, and it, and it has expanded substantially. Uh, this is um, a block and a half worth of space. The city, uh, Cedar City, is um, surrendering there or giving up the right away. We're taking one of the roads that divides these two blocks, and we're creating a huge arts campus. It's going to be the Beverly Taylor Sorensen Center for the Arts. It has our new Shakespeare Theater, and it also has the Southern Utah Museum of Art. Uh, it's going to be an extraordinary um, space. The grounds, um, the art places, and the Shakespeare Theater, which is part of Southern Utah University, of course, um, will have a, a retractable roof. Hmm. Yeah. So it's still open air. But when this is completed in a year and a half, uh, we will be able to move on with the shows come rain or shine by just moving the roof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? It does, it does. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about economic impact of, uh, of a university like Southern Utah University. I, you know, when I, when I go to Cedar City, I, I sometimes reflect that uh, with, it would still be a very nice community without the Shakespeare Festival and without the university, but uh, there are definitely some vibrance and, and I imagine some economic impact. There is a huge ec- economic impact. I wish I had numbers here in front of me. If I'd have anticipated uh, more, well, I would have been able to do that better. But the uh, Shakespeare Theater is is a huge impact on the community. Um, the university hosts the Utah Summer Games, and that has a very large impact. And then, of course, just the size of the university, the number of employees and the spinoffs um, into different businesses and, and our support of a lot of business enterprises, it's, um, it is massive. It's a massive impact on the southern Utah economy. So I wonder, uh, is... Is the town and gown relations that's good in Cedar City? I think it's exceptional. Um, it's always there is always an opportunity for something to be strained in those relationships. But um, in the last month and a half, I've been engaged in what I have called the hundred day listening tour, um, and I've spent a lot of time with people in the community listening to what they have to say about the university and the relationship and and what the university is doing to help the whole southern Utah region. And and what I've heard is an enormous amount of commitment and investment in this university, and there's a terrific relationship, Hmm. just terrific. So 100-day listening tour, we're we're all around that area? Yeah, what it's what it's amounted to, we we have about 250 full-time faculty members and and then more than that full-time staff and administrators and plus all the community and and my my charge in starting, I began on July January, excuse me, <laughs> January 13th. And I've just spent out 6 days a week and at least 5 nights a week um going from person to person and department to department. Um, trying to really understand everything I can about the university, the hopes and dreams and worries and uh, everything. Um, and it's partly been to kind of temper me a bit so that that all of my assumptions can be tested out. And, and before I launch any major initiatives, um, I've given everybody a chance to, to kind of weigh in. It's been, it's been a very, very, very fun. And I imagine, yeah, that kind of thing you probably couldn't sustain past <laughs> if you're out five nights a week and you know past hundred days. What what um, are there some themes that are emerging? Yeah, there's a lot of themes, um, and um, one of those themes is the cost of of higher education. There is a, a great deal of concern um, in the community by the faculty, the staff, the students 
about the rising cost of education, the, the unpredictability of it, and how much it rises each year. Um, Southern Utah University is a little bit less expensive than USU, but not much. We're pretty comparable, um, and it's it's challenging. Um, so people for are to be able to get through. So people are are concerned about uh, about the cost. How uh, how do you respond to that? Do you would you try to go out and get more scholarships, more more grants? What we need to do a whole variety of things. One, we need to sell this message to the Utah legislature more successfully. Um, two, we need to do a, continue to do a good job of connecting with donors. Uh, SUU just completed a um, $100 million The Future is Rising campaign. Uh, came in with $105 million. Uh, we just announced the conclusion of that uh, a week ago. A lot of funds in in that campaign for scholarships that we need to continue working on that and and then the university needs to be disciplined I think that's a, a part of of doing it we can't be everything to everybody we we can do everything we want we can do anything we want we just can't do everything we want you know we have to kind of focus and and uh, make sure we're spending our money wisely so there, it's on the expense and revenue side. Yeah. So you got into a, a topic that I'd, I'd like to talk about. By the way, we're talking with uh, President Scott Wyatt. He's uh, president of Southern Utah University. And uh, last year was uh, president of uh, Snow College. So we get that perspective as well. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of debate nationwide and in Utah about what the mission of any particular institution of higher education should be. What what do you think the mission of Southern Utah University should be? What uh, student coming to SUU, what should they come out with? Should it should it be career preparation, uh, foundation for life? What uh, what's the goal? The answer is yes. <laughs> there isn't a, there isn't a singular goal um, for students coming through their university experience. And, and we need to help prepare them for multiple goals. The vast majority of students, 95% or so, are coming to the universities in order to get a good job, a good, stable um, salary that can help support their families. That's, that's the leading goal. But in order for us to adequately prepare them for that, we have to do more than give them specific skills for a specific job objective. And we do that by giving a broad liberal education mm-hmm. of helping them um, develop character, leadership skills, management skills, um, experiential education when they come to university. One of the unique things about Southern Utah University is, is that every single student in order to graduate um, is required to have some kind of an experience um, this can be an internship, um, can be undergraduate research, can be an exceptional capstone project, or it can be what we call an edge project, which which means that they formulate a project in their mind, they carry it out, and they reflect on what they've learned as a result of it. It's a, it's a pretty a, a ambitious endeavor. Mm-hmm. But those kinds of things um, help give us breadth. You know, students... Um, when they graduate, a student might say, like me, <laughs> mm-hmm. just like me, Tom, I might yeah. say, well, my goal is to be a lawyer. And and then I become a lawyer. And then all of a sudden, I find myself as a county attorney, as we talked about. And, and now, in order to be successful, I've got to work closely with psychologists, um, physicians, um, a v- wide variety of expert witnesses, and those things all required um, some attention to all of these general education classes and a broad-based um, set of skills that come from a, a liberal education hmm. at a university. And then, and then one day I find myself doing something in, entirely different. And, um, and as, as we all know, uh, people today will go through vast majority, will go through a whole number of jobs. I had a fascinating discussion I was out um, visiting with someone in a mine near Delta, 
and I'm standing in their shop, and I asked this manager of a shop, what is it that your students, what is it that you're looking for when you hire somebody? What can we do for our students to help prepare them to work at your mine? The first thing out of his mouth was, I need a manager. I need somebody who can think critically. I need somebody who can solve problems. And that blew me away because I thought what he was going to tell me was, I need somebody that can weld well. And that was a given. He knew that the students that came were going to be able to weld and do some mechanics and have all those aptitudes. But what he was trying to communicate to me was, I don't ever hire someone for one assignment. So when I'm looking for somebody, of course they need to be qualified for that assignment. But I want everyone that comes here to be able to advance in the corporation and end up in management roles. Hmm. And you don't get that simply by learning a skill. Yeah, You get that with a broad-based education. I had this great discussion with an accountant who told me, that what has led him to success was that he took a general studies degree so he knew history and culture and arts and and that helped him build relationships with people and have interesting conversations that um, and gave him um, all kinds of ideas from which his creativity could lead him and he became enormously successful. Hmm. Uh, and he said it was a mistake to be too focused on Accounting. Hmm. Anyway, those are those, those are the yeah. kinds of things we're trying to do. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, so if we if we translate what you've just been saying into policy, maybe what you'd be saying to the legislature or other policymakers is uh, let let's let's got not go too far toward STEM and STEM only. Um, my translation would be broad preparation for life broad preparation. And um, at SUU, a full third of the students here are majoring in sciences or health professions. It's a pretty high number. Um, But every one of those students is going to succeed in their career path, will be more creative, will be more entrepreneurial, will be more helpful um, if they come out of a university life with a strong science or health professions education coupled with a broad-based liberal education. Hmm. And when I use the word liberal, um, I mean broad. I mean broad education. Yeah. By the way, I'm I'm wondering, uh, you were in the legislature, were you not? I was, yes. Uh, has, has your perspective changed at all from, you know, wearing that hat to the, the hat you now wear? Um, I think it helps me understand how legislators um, think, because I was one and tend to think the way they think (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um, I think what the legislature, I think what many legislators, and it's it's hard to say this is what the legislature thinks, because the legislature is comprised of 104 people that all have different ideas. But there are themes. and one of the predominant themes is is that they see higher education as an economic development investment. Um, that is not inconsistent with a liberal, broad higher education mm-hmm. training. Yeah, um, because what they need is entrepreneurs. They need creative thinkers. They need problem solvers, and um, interesting people who can um, draw others. Uh, a lot, there's a lot of research that says livable communities, what draws businesses to our communities um, is um, well-trained people who um, can do technical and scientific computer, all those kinds of things. But what also draws businesses to our communities is an arts culture because hmm. it makes it more livable. They, it's easier for them to draw managers in if we if we have those things. So the whole university mission, um, from STEM to the humanities um, to business to education to to the arts, it, all of that 
supports the legislature's hopes that we continue to build the economy of this state hmm. and the quality of our lives and, and help people be free from um, welfare needs. We're talking with uh, Scott Wyatt, president of Southern Utah University. We have uh, uh, about three minutes left in this conversation. Uh, I'm curious, uh, President Wyatt, uh, especially with with regard to your experience at Snow College, a smaller institution, um, beautiful community. Uh, From the point of view of the students and especially the parents, uh, I'm sure you had conversations with them. What was their view of of what uh, college education would, would mean to their child's future? Um, they, they began with, I, I think most parents began with, I want my child to get a good job, um, to be able to support a family. And right after that is what we've been talking about, which is, and I want them to be prepared for an ever-changing world that's unpredictable. I don't know what jobs are going to be available in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. So I want, I want my child to really have a great education that prepares them for their first job and their second job and their third job and their fourth job. And then parents, um, parents, we all want for our kids. We, we just want them to be happy. <laughs> we want them to be happy, to live fulfilling lives, to have a sense that we're doing something for our communities that's that's what I want for my children, and I think that's what most parents want, um, to have a job so they can contribute and be stable, but we want them to be happy and do something that they love to do um, and, and all those opportunities to create. Well, we'll uh, leave it there. Out of time, uh, much more, of course, we could say, uh, and uh, you can continue this conversation, of course, online at upr.org or join us on our uh, email upraxis at gmail.com. Scott Wyatt, president of Southern Utah University and until recently uh, president of Snow College. Thank you so much. been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been fun. And uh, join us tomorrow. We're going to have an interesting program. A couple of folklorists, musicologists, Hal Cannon and Gary Eller will be in studio. They have a project uh, recently. They're going around to various areas in southern Idaho and uh, northern Utah collecting folk songs of the pre-radio era, pre-1920s of of the various areas, which include Grantsville, that's where they are tonight, uh, Brigham City and Logan, where they are on uh, Friday and uh, Saturday, and then uh, in the evenings performing those songs. So we'll uh, have them perform some uh, folk songs and uh, talk folklore and music with uh, Hal Cannon and Gary Eller. Hope you'll join us for the program tomorrow. For uh, producers Katie Swain and Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for listening today. Utah Public Radio presents StoryCorps, an oral history project in conjunction with the National Library of Congress, recorded in May of 2013 in St. George. Daughter of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, Cheryl Rogers Barnett talks with her husband Larry about her famous parents' legacy of not only fame, but fighting against social norms and loving their family's differences. I was just a few months old when um, he and his first wife, Arlene, adopted me. Dad said that when he wiggled his fingers in front of all the babies' faces, that they all cried or screamed, and I just reached up and grasped a hold of his finger, and he called Mommy in California and said, I found our baby. Mommy's health wasn't great, and after they adopted me, she was sick so much, so Dad started taking me to work with him when she died. And I grew up on the Republic lot. The ladies and gentlemen in the wardrobe and makeup department and the hair department, they were my babysitters. And I got to go into the wardrobe. Oh, that was incredible for a little girl to be able to go do that. That was fairyland. So everybody there, they were like a big family on that lot. The thing that I've always found interesting, and I think other people have as well, you actually met your stepmother at Republic. Yes. She started working with Dad in 1943. They made their first movie together, Cowboy and the Senorita. I just thought she was fabulous. Most of the leading ladies that worked with Dad were teenage girls. 
But women's role in Westerns were either the rancher's daughter, the school marm, or they worked in a saloon. I mean, that was about it for Western movies. As your mom said, yeah, they weren't much more than decorations. Yeah. But until she came along. She really changed women's role in Western movies. She was just a physical force to deal with. I mean, she was so vivacious and so gorgeous, so talented. And they wrote scripts for her, wrote parts that were much more meaningful. She and Dad were really partners. They had a baby together a couple of years later, and that was my little sister, Robin Elizabeth. And when she was born, she had Down syndrome. And they were one of the first people I've ever heard of that refused to hospitalize Robin. They brought her home. It was really different back then. If you had a child born with a handicap, you were told by the doctors, don't bring them home. It will break your heart. Just put them in a facility somewhere. As, as, as your dad said, they were going to bring her home and raise her with the other kids. Again, back then, it was so different. So um, we got mumps at school, and of course, you know, living in a house, eventually Robin got it as well, and she passed away right at her second birthday. So mom was just heartbroken, and she wrote her first book called Angel Unaware, And that little book has just been incredible. It's gone around the world. It's been reprinted in a whole bunch of languages. Uh, Teachers still use it today to teach empathy to their students. It's really wonderful. Also, with their visibility and popularity at the time, I think they contributed probably as much, if not more than anybody, to research into Down syndrome and and the strides that they've made. You know, your dad tells a really an interesting story about that. We were watching some DVDs that that were recently made, converted from film, and it was uh, something in Madison Square Gardens. They were performing, and there was Royendale coming into the stadium, shaking hands, you know, patting hands with little kids, and there was this one section that was all handicapped, disadvantaged children. And he turned to me and he says, you see that? Until she wrote that book, you never saw that. Yeah, true. You never did. And that, that was a legacy of theirs, you know, your mom's, your mom's faith and what they did for the Down syndrome and the adoption. I mean, that, that is more of their legacy than the, than the movies they made. Yeah. Mom ended up, she wrote 28 books, and she wrote books about everything that she was interested in. But she was. She was in charge right up yeah. to the very end, and I miss her every day. <laughs> yeah, she was quite a lady. These interviews were recorded at StoryCorps, a national initiative to record and collect stories of everyday people. Excerpts were selected and produced by Utah Public Radio. Support for StoryCorps on Utah Public Radio comes from Dixie Regional Medical Center, located on two campuses in St. George, serving northwestern Arizona, southeastern Nevada, and southern Utah. Information at DixieRegional.org. This Week in This American Life, Blairsville, Georgia is like a lot of small towns. Everybody knows everybody else. There's always tons of gossip. But something changed when everybody started posting gossip online. People believed it. So I lost my job. And then um, people I knew would just walk on past me. I would say hi. They wouldn't even acknowledge the fact that I was even standing there. That's this week. Tune in every Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.